Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Back to a Celtic state of mind. It's Wednesday. I'm Paul John Dykes, and today I'm joined by John Hughes and Patrick McGilp. We're here to talk all things Celtic. Got a big game tonight, Patrick. Next 14, we've got to win every single one of them by the looks of it. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, believe it or not, we're talking in the chat, and you can actually end up with, say, 100 points if you win all 14 games, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I thought that would have been well out of sight, but it shows we've, we've not been that bad in accumulating points this season. Um, no, I'm maybe a bit of a pessimist or a bit of a realist or whatever you want to call it. I would always take a draw at Ibrox. So I would be happy with the 98 points myself. I don't think a team's ever lost a league on 98 points. But, uh, you know, I, I think we do need to win every game up until Ibrox. I mean, you look at how we've how we've picked up points since the beginning of December, since that Motherwell draw at Parkhead, the header. Um, and you sort of look at the fixtures and you think... Apart from Hearts away, there's not a lot of tricky games in there before we go to Ibrox in early April. So I think we do really need to go on a one and run the next seven games and pick up as many points as possible because we've been far too inconsistent of late. Inconsistency. John, uh, we talk about uh, optimism, pessimism. I think if you've had conversations within the Axon chat group, you know that we've got a sprinkling of both in our ranks, haven't we, John? Where are you sitting at the moment when it comes to optimism, pessimism, realism? Well, I'd, I'd just like to ask Patrick what he thinks constitutes a tricky game at the moment. Is that like every single game? Yeah. <laughs> so, Motherwell didn't find Ross County tricky last night, did they? No, but we did. No. We made it tricky. No, well, we've dropped points against basically everyone, especially the bottom. All the worst teams we've dropped points against. Yeah, um, I will. For clarification, I'll say that Hearts away was a tricky game and the rest of them, you know, most seasons you'd like to think you'd be able to win those games, but I suppose you're right, every game's a tricky game at the moment, yeah. uh, the way that the momentum's going, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're reaching into your um, tabloid uh, vocabulary bag here, aren't you? It's 14 cup finals. Uh, so, essentially... But I mean, that's really what it is for us. But I mean, that's what it was last week, and we still didn't pull it out the bag. Or, uh, sorry, it's out there. We still didn't pull it out the bag. Um, so the players have to be aware of this. There are player, there appears to be within the group, given who we're dropping points against. You know, it, it seems to illustrate there's a definite issue with mentality. Um, they can get up for the bigger games, the more difficult games, the more challenging games, uh, and. You know, games that are going to be difficult, whether it's freezing or it's raining or it's you know unpleasant wee ground or whatever it is. The there appears to be a lack of ability to dig in, uh, to grit it out, and um, you know I, I was glad we came back from one 0 down um, because there's been plenty of times this season where I didn't think we would. Uh, you know, I didn't think we looked as if we could come back. I, I didn't think we'd go on and win the game. Uh, we might have done, but you know, we, we've shown real no indication of being able to come back from a deficit and go on and score a couple. Um, we have not been free scoring. We don't look free scoring. Uh, and, you know, that leads on to a whole host of other issues with the formation and so on. So, you know, <clears throat> I think every one of these games is going to be tricky and not anything to do with the opposition. Uh, you know, if we were playing as we should be playing with that squad, uh, potentially we'd blow them all away. But you know, that's not the reality of this season. Uh, guys have been off for them. The formation hasn't been right, in my view, uh, and uh, the combination 
of factors there has just led us to the position we're in just now, where the momentum is definitely uh, with uh, the other side of the city at the moment. Uh, so it's deeply, deeply depressing as that is to say. Uh, I'm afraid that's just uh, the way it stands at the moment. But I mean, we can change that momentum. You know, the thing, that's the thing about momentum; it can change. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, we can change that. Get on a decent one. Put in some decent performances. Smash a few people. Uh, you know, uh, they can knock in fours and fives, and uh, then we'll see where we are at, at that point. But um, yeah, I mean, I think given the way we're playing, there's no doubt they're all tricky. Yeah, this is the thing, John. I mean, I remember under here it goes the big klaxon and Postacoglu, um, <laughs> Tony Haggerty, a former Axon favourite, who you can uh, tune into uh, for his views on Celtic elsewhere. I, and I remember he coined the phrase, didn't he? It was uh, the rip roaring, free scoring, never boring. And yeah. for a couple of years there, we were Patrick. We absolutely were that side. We were the very epitome of that. And uh, you know, Tony goes on about where he heard that. He heard it in a boozer somewhere. He, he'll remember the name of, of the barman who actually coined the phrase. Um, but we absolutely were. We were that team. And there's been a real drop-down in terms of the the way that we play, the style of football, the tempo, the excitement, all that kind of stuff isn't there at the moment. And again, I go back to we're talking about mentality um, we've also got here my ball. The reason I'm going down this road here is because my ball says it's a, a lack of team spirit. This is a, a Celtic side that we can always go back to and say, right, we've just won the treble. But is it? Because there's there's players missing from that side, not only the ones that have been transferred, but the ones who are injured, Patrick. And then you've got a clutch of guys who have come in who may not have the same spirit, the same mentality, the same kind of winning approach when it comes to Celtic. I think... Scottish football, when it comes to uh, Celtic and Rangers in the past, a lot of big-name players have come up and been shocked at the demands of, of playing for uh, one half of the, uh, what would you call it in the past, the old firm. It's no longer called that, of course. Uh, Celtic or Rangers, you need to have a certain level, a certain mentality to win every game. Brendan Rogers has been talking about it uh, this week, and he says, you know, it's no surprise to me, I know what's uh, required. But I think it's now time for him to show it, Patrick, because I, I've seen a different side to him this season, one that isn't really firing on all cylinders, Brendan. And I think he needs to um, lead from the front. And, and obviously that can then start to you know, be infused into the team and, and particularly the new guys within that dressing room. Yeah, you know, when, when you're talking about this sort of stuff, when it comes to mentality and, you know, as John says, about um, coming from behind and all that... And- um, you know, fighting back from a from going one nothing down, you know, t- to use another klaxon. You know, we've heard the phrase "we never stop," and under Ange, we truly never stopped. We always sort of fought to the last minute. The amount of last minute winners that we scored was, you know, up there with Gordon Strachan, I think, and that seems to have totally disappeared. You know, once you go one nothing down, once the game goes a bit stale, you don't really have any belief, and you can feel it in the stands that there isn't really any belief that um, the squad's going to fight back. And, you know, we've seen it against Kilmarnock in December, and I think we've seen it again at the weekend. There's such a stark drop-off in the second half of games, mm-hmm. just sort of out of the blue. You know, the team just totally falls apart. And, uh, you know, I, it's hard to say whether it actually happened on the pitch, but certainly in the stands against Rangers, after they scored um, to make it 2-1 in the derby game, and you had that nine minutes added time or whatever it was, there was such a a nervousness about the team. You know, we used to have such belief and such confidence, both when Brendan was here first time round and under Ange last season. It almost, you know, we might not have went invincible, but you felt invincible most of the time. And that seems to have gone now. And as much as anything tonight, we need to get that momentum back and that winning feeling. You know, I think... It's all well and good saying that you need to go out and win the game, but I think we need to now go out and start winning well to give confidence to both the players and the fans. Because I think at the start of the COVID season, eh, when we lost the league, you know, we were winning games and picking up lots of points. But there was never really any confidence because we weren't playing that well. And I think that's that's something that the manager needs to change. I don't think you can blame the recruitment of the board for that. I think that's on the managers and the players. 
to give fans the belief and give players the belief. And you know, maybe John's right. Maybe it is a change in formation. I mean, it's it's a travesty what's happened to Kyogo this season. The, the fact that we can't seem to get him in games at all. Um, mm-hmm. You know, something needs to change tactically there. Um, so I think that is a question for Rodgers, and we're obviously paying him the big money. He's a he's a top class manager, so I think he needs to find the answers and. Uh, as much as it's about results in the next 14 games, I think it's about performance as well. Because, you know, even if we win the league, we won't have confidence in the side and confidence going into the next season. No, you're right. I think the performances feed that confidence, doesn't it? Uh, John, I'm going to ask you this. By the way, if you do have any questions for myself, Patrick McGill or John Hughes, ask them in the comments section. And depending on uh, how hard-hitting they are, we'll be happy to answer them. Here's the well, uh, can, I, can I just... Uh, uh, what Belfast gig... I've got a wee gig this Friday where um, Simon Donnelly and Jackie were, were going over to uh, Belfast. Paddy's going to be there and he's asking if you're going to join us. Oh, I didn't know there was a Belfast gig on. I think, Paddy, what John is saying is that he's not been invited yet, but, you know, uh, this is the invitation. <laughs> it's not one of the ones, John, where it's like, oh, you can come if you want after the event. Uh, well, we're, we're supposed to be doing something Valentine's-y on Saturday. Uh, we've changed those plans a multitude of times. It looks like we'll have to change them again. Uh, if there's any way to find myself in Belfast, I, I absolutely will. I, I genuinely wasn't aware of it. Uh, I now need Valentine's Day. You got me worried there. I had to check what date it was on Friday. Yeah. I'm not even going to be in the house. Yeah, well, I know it's, uh, you've got until next Wednesday or something, but uh, my... Um, yeah, I'm now going to need to go and backtrack on uh, a lot of things I've said about the weekend. So, uh, uh, yeah, thanks very much for the heads up. Far too late, but I will. Uh, <laughs> what, what, was I, what was I going to say? I, I, Paul in the, the comments here was saying, uh, you know, don't mention Ange. It's like mentioning your ex's name uh, at the most inopportune moment. Uh, when you're talking to a man who went on holiday with someone and referred to her by his ex-wife's name multiple times. Uh, and that was, that was such a good holiday. Uh, so I am going to bring up Ange again. Uh, so uh, what we had with Ange, and I said it at the time, and what has become just so absolutely, it's made it absolutely set in stone is, Ange was an absolute one-off and it was the luckiest thing that ever happened to us that we fell uh, backside backwards, as they say, into um, into that uh, signing. Um, because I don't think Eddie Howe could have done it. I don't think Rodgers could have done it. Um, I think it was a unique and um, incredibly unique set of circumstances where we had a coach who was a vision Visionary, really, uh, and, and as much as he has a clear vision, he brought clarity, he brought reliance on the system, he brought players to fit the system, not just players for, you know, generic or, you know, just, oh, that guy's a decent player, we'll get him in somewhere. Um, he had, uh, he was very, very clear on how he wanted to play the game, as we saw. Uh, and the end result of that was uh, the board loved him because he was buying excellent players over the first two windows for peanuts, all of whom made, um, nearly all of whom made massive impacts. Uh, and the, unfortunately at the time, this is what's become apparent now, it looked like this was a new dynamic between the manager and the, you know, the chief executive and so on. Uh, but what it really just turned out to be was just, it was, it was just all about Ange. Uh, and the board were happy to go along with it because he wasn't spending piles of money. Most of these guys cost peanuts, uh, and they were absolutely sensational. So he had the board's trust immediately with that. I don't think we're ever going to see that again. Unfortunately, it was a wee, it was a wee break in what has been a very long and tedious, um, you know, uh, train of the same old, same old. Yeah. Now we're back. We're back to that same old, same old. Um, so what we lack in the team at the moment is uh, vision, is clarity in terms of what we're trying to do and how we're trying to do it, um, is a, a reliance on the system or the wrong system. Uh, you know, we lack dynamism, we lack speed, uh, we lack uh, focus, uh, and I, I don't think we have the players to play the system. I, I don't know how many months we've been saying that for, 
pro, you know, since the start of the season almost, we're relying on wingers and we don't have any wingers. Uh, so, uh, are any decent wingers? So, yeah, of the quality that we're, you know, uh, creating all those chances before. So there, there's, there's a lot at play um, at the moment. Um, the, you know, we can't do anything about what happened off the pitch now. Um, but I don't think that should give anybody a free pass. I don't think it should mean we don't talk about it. I don't think it means we shouldn't protest about it. Um, and I, uh, it's almost equally frustrating what's happening on the pitch because are those or should those players be good enough to put away uh, teams who have a fraction of our resources? Yes, of course they should. Um, and for me at the moment, the, the you know the, the manager is not stepping up. And I said before this window started that we wouldn't sign anyone and the manager's going to have to step up. It's going to have to be all about Brendan Rodgers to change the way that we're playing because I didn't expect us to be saved in that window. So, you know, that, that's why I'm back to the, you know, it was, it was the, the tricky games because we don't know. And as Patrick pointed out earlier, you know, when was the last time we put two good halves together? Uh, so it's, it's so inconsistent. We, 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 you know, it's not inconsistent from game to game. It's inconsistent within the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we just can't keep a foot on anyone's throat for any length of time. We either don't start well or we don't finish well. You know, one way or another, sometimes we don't do either. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's it's one or the other. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's very frustrating at the moment. It's incredibly frustrating what's happened off the field uh, and incredibly frustrating what's happening on the field. Um, and we, you know, the manager, you know, for that sort of money and we have the reputation he comes back with, uh, he absolutely needs to step up. And there's another... And I've been over my time here. I do apologise, Liz, but there's one thing I just wanted to say about uh, I was in a conversation with someone uh, who is uh, a friend of Peter Lowell's, uh, has lunch with him every week. Uh, and we were sending messages back and forward. And basically, the the, the view from that side of the, the camp is just entirely different. Entirely different. You can't protest... Because it affects him. This particular person has written, you know, loads of books about, you know, the, the uh, players, uh, and he said, "Oh, the protests do affect the players, even if they say that they don't." And I'm like, "Yeah, but most of those protests happened as a result of, you know, us being shocking on the pitch, and therefore yeah. you can understand why the players were affected by that." Uh, at the same time, you cannot have it both ways. We're either a wee club. Everything is treated as a team or a family or a unit, and you don't give that guy a hard time. It might affect him morale or whatever. You either have that or you have a PLC. You can't have it both ways. You cannot not criticise uh, the board because, oh, you know, he's, he's a nice lad, uh, good guys, and all the rest. I've said on here multiple times they are good guys, um, but you cannot not criticise them. They are PLC executives, right? This is not going down to the club and, you know, get in there as an under-16s coach and go, come on, lads, and arms round the shoulder, and we can do this. That's for the pitch. That's Rogers. That's his job. So, and when he's talking about collective responsibility, no, I'm sorry, Brendan. You know, you might have collective responsibility, but this is a PLC. So you have collective responsibility in the team and on the pitch. You are the team. You all have to win and lose as a team off the pitch. There is accountability. There must be accountability in a PLC. This is not a, a mum and pop operation, but it's just like, oh, come on, lads, we did our best in that window. No, it's a PLC. You are an executive getting paid almost a million pounds mm. a year in some cases. Um, or more, the Lowell's big takeout of it one season was three point two million or something like that. His pension kids, and it's just like, oh no, the boy did his best, and the supporters and all the rest of it. No, absolutely not. And we must be able to separate those two things. The team gets full support, no question of that. The team gets full support. The board, on the other hand, you're a PLC, and I'm sorry, I'm not here to wave my PLC scarf. No, John, you're spot on. And, you know, when you get snippets of information in relation to 
the kind of attitudes and the outlook of the club or the board, and it is a polar opposite to how the fans are feeling. That that obviously uh, absolutely frightens me, Patrick, because the word protest, as John was saying there, I'm now thinking, how do you do that? How do you protest? Because they are sitting there thinking, oh, but we spent £22 million this year, we've invested in the team. I mean, you know, Brendan's doing a great job you know, and all this kind of stuff. They are so far away from reality. It's unbelievable. And if you question them, like I said before, you question them on recruitment. What do you know about recruitment, Paul? Know a great deal, but I know when you spend £22 million, you don't have a left-back other than Burnaby to go on, up and play in Pataudry, that the recruitment's not right. I know that much about football. So, John, that kind of thing frightens a life out me, but it doesn't surprise me. There is a absolute, you know, for me, there's a group of fans who will never criticise Celtic. And every time we do, either on here or on social media, they come to the defence of the boards. They come to the defence of the board, right? And it's just, get behind the team. And this is the mantra, Patrick, get behind the team. Well, of course we support Celtic. I want every single player in my Celtic jersey to do well. But if they play rubbish, or if we lose a game, or if we throw away an eight-point lead, you've got to question it. You've got to do it early enough, Patrick. You can't wait until the horse is bolted. Because a lot of people, you know, if you just blindly say, just support the team, the horse is gone, you've lost the league, and it's too late. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and you, you can talk about the 21, 22 million investment in the squad, but it's a net spend of something like minus eight or nine million. And that was at a point in the summer when you had 72 million cash and bank. You know, why are we why are we trying to make a nine million pound profit when the squad needs upgrading when you've got all this money sitting? Now you can talk about having a buffer for not getting the Champions League, but why even think like that? Why why conjure up some scenario where in fifteen months' time you might be in the Europa League? Why not just go out and invest in the squad? Uh, I mean, we're investing in this um, this Braverfield thing. That will take maybe twelve months, to eighteen months. Spend fifteen to twenty million on that. Is that really going to be of benefit to the club? And no doubt in the long term it probably will. But when you look at the the youth setup over the last ten to fifteen years, you can maybe name five players that have came through and benefited Celtic. Obviously Tierney's made us a bunch of money as well. Um, the women's team, obviously that's brilliant. That's a that's a growing sort of element of the sport the last year and a half, two years, it's been exploding sort of in the UK anyway. Um, so that's definitely necessary. But I mean, there's question marks whether it's even you're, you're even going to be able to play games at this facility at UEFA, UEFA matches due to, I think it's access roads or something. So, you know, the, the team's there. It, it needs investment. We're, we're going for a, a lucrative new Champions League pot of 50, 55 million and you're trying to make 9 million on transfers. It just doesn't make any sense. And, you know, there is obviously a a balance to be struck, you know, if we go out and smash Hibs 5 nothing tonight and then win 3 nothing at St Murnock the weekend, do you really want to be singing sack the board against Kilmarnock on the 17th of February? Because as much as they're not doing their jobs and as much as we're not gambling, we are gambling, sorry, with the league title, there has to be some sort of acknowledgement that the preparation and the decision-making this season has been incredibly poor. And, you know, as we've just spoke about, half of that is with Rodgers, you know, the way the team's playing, the formation... Um, the tactics, obviously that, that sits with the team and the manager, but the recruitment element, I mean, we spoke about it for weeks on here, all throughout the transfer window, has yeah. been shocking. Uh, the lack of investment has been shocking. And, you know, m maybe it does get to the players. I I've no doubt when they were turning up outside Celtic Park, what, three and a half years ago, and were throwing fences and stuff, that probably did shake the players a little bit. When the team isn't doing well, I mean, you spoke about the pressure and the expectation. If we are not at the absolute peak of Scottish football with the resources that we have and the head start that we have, then there has to be massive questions and players need to expect that coming up here. As you say, people come up from England, they think they're going to walk it. And fair enough, they might have played at a certain level for a number of years. But the expectation at Celtic is, you know, dropping points of any kind is a total disaster. Um, and I think players, manager board members need to realise that. Yeah, you're spot on. I mean, today it's the birthday of Mike Novroski and another 
uh, real fans' favourite, Diego Laxalt. And I'm just really worried about the social media guy, Celtic, the guy or girl who needs to wish Diego a happy birthday. Um, listen, it's not a new phenomenon, the, the, the way that we spraff cash down uh, the gutter, because um, I was having a wee look here just last night, and I knew it was pretty bad, but I didn't think it was as bad as this. We spent 50, let's get the figure here, 56 million quid um, in the last 12 years. It is last 12 seasons, not including this season, on uh, players who have never played 50 games for the club. And it's just horrific because it's, it's sometimes difficult to gauge what was at value for money. Were they a good signing? Were they a flop? But I think if you've not played 50 games for the, the football club and you've signed for, for Celtic on big money, then, you know, Pretty, you know, I'm pretty confident to say that you've not made it. Um, and this this goes back to Daryl Murphy, uh, 800 grand, Efran Juarez, 3 million, through the likes of Bangura at 2.2, Baldi, remember him, Amido, 1.8, Dirk Borigter, 2 million, Puke at 2.4, it goes on and on, Skepovic, Chiefche, Allen, Gamboa, Kuasi, Comper, Morgan, Musonda, 2 million pound loan fee, Jack Hendry, 1.5 million, Bayou, 2 million quid, Shved, Luca Connell, Bolingoli, Clamala, Sorrow, Barkas, Ayeti, Duffy, Luxol, and Kenny. Big uh, loan fees on them. Liam Shaw, Urigidi, Ediguchi, Kenny, Bernabe, Haksabanovic. There's 56 million quid. What did we get back for it, John? What did we get back for that 56 million pounds? I mean, that, that is horrific recruitment. There's no other word for it. It's actually disgraceful that you can do it over a period of time. And every so often, right, you get a success. So it makes it almost all right. Or you get that anomaly when Ange comes in. You know, and as you say, it was an absolute, you know, you fell in the river, you came out with two trouts in your pockets with Ange. Absolute <laughs> luck. It was a it was a lucky stroke, it really was. But John, that shows you that it's not a new phenomenon. This this club have been wasting money for a long, long time in the transfer market. Yeah, what did what did they say? It's a reverting to mean. Uh, so basically. Uh, we're just back to where we were uh, after the Ange uh, brief respite. Uh, we've got guys now, and we have had guys through all that period, who are making decisions. They are completely risk-averse. Uh, they are not entrepreneurs. They are not businessmen. They are functionaries. Those are the guys running the club. Dermot Desmond doesn't run the club. Dermot Desmond flies in from the golf every six months and drops. I mean, like, you know, as, as people have been pointing out, I think, you know, he dropped in uh, um, Rogers. That was pure Dermot Desmond. And then just leaves. And is he backing him? Is he making sure he gets the support he wants? I, I doubt very much he's had a conversation with him uh, other than, you know, I hope you're doing well. He's, he's just not that guy, you know, that he's not involved on a day-to-day basis. This is just one of his toys, one of his many toys. Um, so his boy's on the board uh, and I'm, I'm sure he's trying to carve out a niche for himself so he'll not be running to daddy every five minutes either um, so you know we, we have a situation where uh, we have interference at that level from the only person who actually has a record as a businessman and an entrepreneur but he is not in, on a daily basis involved uh, we've had Peter Lowell for how many, many, many long years. It seemed like a couple of centuries there. Uh, you know, I think it was Brother Wolfred, then Peter Lowell. I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but, the, you know, he's, he, he, all the time he was there, it was just the managed decline that we always spoke about. And that's what, he's, that's what it's been. It's been managed decline uh, and went from the point we were spending too much money uh, on the, the Martin O'Neill era, and that's fine. Uh, but from that point on, it's been managed to climb. And, um, you know, Ange was a really bright spot uh, in that period, but now we're just back to it. Uh, so, you know, the, the uh, until we see some sort of change at the uh, board level, uh, then this is just going to carry on as is. Because I say, they, they're first and foremost... They're not functionary. They are functionaries, and they're just focused on bonuses. They're focused on their money. That's all they're focused about. They're not thinking about, you know, they don't have the vision to say, well, listen, if we get into the Champions League, you know, we could, we could risk that. What's our risk parameters? We could do this. We could do that. You know, uh, 
potentially what could be win out of this. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in the facts. We have this money. We're only going to spend this much money. We're not taking into account things that might happen unless those things are negative because they're risk averse, right? So we might not qualify for the Champions League. That's fine. That's what you said. That's why you're storing up the money. But what if we do? Did you think about that? Where's the opposite of that? Where is, where, where is the, the, the case for we might qualify for the, the Champions League, we might get through the group stage, we might win more than a couple of games. And as I pointed out on here before, winning two wins in the Champions League is a financial equivalent of winning a treble. Right? So I do not understand. It's, it's just this, such an insular viewpoint. You know, they, they cannot see past the end of their own noses. You know, it's unbelievable. Anyway, uh, I'm going to try and talk about some football at some point because these people are just driving me nuts. <laughs> the manager's not doing much better, to be fair. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's uh, it, you know, the, the, the track record recruitment's here for everyone to see. It's a shambles. And it has been a shambles with one, with one exception. Uh, so, you know, uh, we, we have to rely on the, the, the people who are qualified uh, and are in jobs are qualified to do it. And Brendan Rodgers is in, you know, all of the people at the top of the tree, uh, you might argue that he is the only one that's actually qualified to do the job that he's in. Um, you know, Michael Nicholson was never a CEO, uh, never put up for the CEO position. Peter Lowell was just the chief accountant. You know, the guys on the board, don't even ask me what most of them did, because uh, it was like two decades since they did anything. Mm-hmm. Um so Mark Lovell's not qualified, their head scout isn't qualified. So you can argue that Brendan Rogers is the only one that is qualified and he is going to have to turn this around because unfortunately he's responsible for the product on the pitch and the product on the pitch has been incredibly poor. Now, at least 50% of that, if not more, is down to this lack of support he's had, but he has to deal with it. It's his job to deal with it. If it was easy, you wouldn't be getting paid three and a half million. No, this is the thing, John, and you're talking about uh, Gordon Stratton's laddie, I, I'm guessing, when you go to the scout, and he, he is good at selling Pringle jerseys, though, Patrick. That That <laughs> is the most important thing about scouting, obviously. Um, I was reading an interesting tweet this morning from inside the SPFL. Uh, Celtic's league record at Easter Road in general since Hibs got promoted back in 2017 is abysmal. Uh, only guy who's won there is Ange. Sorry, there's another big Claxon moment there. <laughs> And even he only had a 50% win rate at Easter Road. Never understood why they've struggled to perform there. In the last 12 games, Patrick, we have won two. I'm sorry to, to be tempering everybody's enthusiasm for tonight. We've drawn seven, we've lost three. Right. How do we sort it tonight? Let's talk about the football. Patrick McGill, we've got a rotten record at Easter Road. How do we sort it tonight? Brendan's never won here. Well, I suppose if you take it in probability terms, we're due a win, really, aren't we? Um, if you look at it that way, that if you try to be positive. Well recovered, Patrick. Well recovered. <laughs> they are a very poor gamble. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. You're absolutely spot on. Uh, um, no, I mean, I mean, we are better, and they were an awful run. I mean, any team was it three nothing in the first half? St. Man won. Was it four? I can't really remember. But I mean, they they battered them. Uh, and, you know, when they came to Celtic Park, I mean, we didn't, from from memory, we didn't even play that well. And we beat them 4-1 just because of how open they play. And the one goal that they did score, that was a, a Nat Phillips special. Mm-hmm. Um, the boy turned him inside out and then done the exact same trick five minutes later and actually scored. Um, so, you know, we, we put four goals by them with ease. Um, I'd like to think we'll be able to do the same again because they don't have the players to play that that way. And they've obviously played that way against St Murn if St Murn can batter the goals by them. So, you know, we said the same about Aberdeen. Poor side, should win comfortably. Didn't. Um, but, you know, we, we need a reaction. And it comes back to the mentality. I mean, I hate, I don't hate, but, you know, I'm not a big fan of talking about sort of intangibles. It's like mentality and team spirit. I think it's, it's hard to measure stuff like that. You know, we've got a better squad and a better manager. We should be winning the game, but... If we can bounce back and we can see the mentalities right, we can see the footballs right, the tactics are right, it it gives us a chance to really kick on. And I think we all thought we were going to kick on after those four wins just before the split, not the split, the um, the winter break. 
And, you know, six wins in a draw isn't the worst record in the world, but the performances the last two games have been have been so poor, especially in the second half. So just to come back to that really, you know, we need a we need a an absolute belter of a performance. Uh, we need to I think we need to put three or four by them, if I'm being honest, keep a clean sheet because you know, for one, that record's terrible. Um, the momentum right now, I hate to say it, is, you know, with the other side of the city and uh, we, need to, we need to fix the mistakes. And with the window shut, um, it's up to Brendan, really. And um, I'm sure Brendan will want to amend his record at Easter Road as well. I definitely. I mean, you've, you've mentioned a couple of teams there, for example, St Mirren, who will be meeting in the Scottish. Um, you look at a, a scenario there where you get a gaffer going in and having to just deal with what he's got. You know what I mean? And pull the absolute maximum from players that he's got. And that is what I'm looking at right now with Brendan. You've got much better quality than anybody else in the league. Surely you can get a tune out of this team. Um, really keen to hear your thoughts. Doogie Sharp, welcome to the show. You are watching us on the YouTube. I think we can all agree that the board and recruitment team need a drastic shake-up. And before I go back to the football, John, I'm just, you know, I'm really aware of the fact that things have changed so, so much since the last big shake-up, which was kind of fan-infused, you know, with results for change and um, obviously working hand-in-hand with with Fergus McCann's group back in the day, the street movement. What can we do now? Because you think about uh, back then, you know, where you had Celts for Change, with the, the great guys that pulled everything together, word of mouth, adverts in newspapers, through the fa- the pages of fanzines that came out once a month. It's so much easier now to get the word out, John, but it seems harder to, to pull everybody together. Uh, yes, because, uh, you know, again, there is it's difficult to have a, a dominant voice amongst the fan groups simply because, you know, uh, there are a lot of fans with a lot of different uh, opinions and it's... Um, Again, what we're really talking about is pushing on. We're not talking about going out of existence. What we're talking about is lack of ambition. Uh, What we're talking about is lack of vision. What we're talking about is nepotism. What we're talking about is corporate cronyism. These are things that it's very difficult to formulate a proper protest around in terms of, you know, have everyone behind it. Uh, You know, because you're not going to get it because people will say, well, we've won you know, 17 out of the last 22 trophies, you know, whatever it is, because that's exactly what the Lowell fans say. Um, You know, and then they hark back to the old days, which has got nothing to do with anything, given how dominant we've been for the last couple of decades. So, you know, it's... In terms of what we can do, the the, the problem is when you encounter, like, a proper businessman, like Fergus McCann, for instance, you know, he instituted the season books. So... You can't even stay away without having already given them your money. Yeah. Right? And if you don't take up your season books, apparently there's 10,000 in the background. Let's say, let's assume it was even half of that. that those tickets will still be sold. Uh, and when you talk about, when I ever see it on my Twitter, if someone says, I'm giving up my season book, within three replies, someone's saying, go in then, I'll take it. You know, and so you're not going to get that level of uh, unity in, in the protests, and you know the board rely on that. They only have to keep us that you know the whole one step ahead of the Rangers thing. That's really all they have to do to keep their jobs. Uh, you know, so we can moan about Europe as much as we want, but as long as the, as long as the club's not going bust and we're winning silverware every now and then, that'll keep most people happy because uh, most people are you know want to uh, support the team. Uh, it's a major, major part of their lives. Uh, they're there all the time. Uh, and it's just it's too much a big part of their lives to sacrifice on the back of a dispute about the board. And they just won't do it. So even if you could, let's just say you had unity, unless you're literally going to you know leave the, the ground uh, with a 15,000 15, people in it, uh, that's not going to make any difference anyway. But as I said on here before, the reality is um, Desmond's not going to uh, make any changes. There is cronies, there is people he's put in place. If he doesn't make any changes, the board won't change. Lowell's not going to step down. It's 70 grand a year. It's basically a nice we add on to his pension. Um, what you hear, Mike Nicholson's not going to sack himself. Uh, you know, you can't even say that he's done a, you know, he's not even, has he done a bad job? You know, how much of this is down to the CEO? Um, because, 
again, I think the problem is Lowell's influence when he came back has stymied anything that Mike Nicholson uh, might have wanted to do. So we're never going to know because he is now tied in with Lowell indefinitely. Uh, you know, but it's the appointing of people completely unqualified uh, in positions of real responsibility. Uh, that's the main problem. So in terms of what people can do, we all know that. We had this discussion before. You can try and hit the club financially. And, and good luck to you doing that. But unless it's a coordinated effort, it's a waste of time. Uh, so and I'm not suggesting you give up. And I've had people say to me before, oh, I don't believe that. You know, if we get, you know, you know. People have actually been messaging me on Twitter, you know, if we get behind the right group of people, we can do this, we can do that, we can achieve this. Maybe you believe that and maybe it's true. I don't believe it because I just don't think you will get enough people who care. Um, because you have to really care about stuff like this because you have to make sacrifices. One of the sacrifices might be not watching Celtic and that's not a sacrifice that most people are prepared to make. No, uh, this is the thing, John, because I remember the discussion last week about breaking uh, Dermot Desmond's toy. I'm not prepared to uh, not see my football team. Absolutely not. And I think there's other ways. Um, you think about the way that the Celtic uh, fan base kind of came together. I remember uh, back in 2021, it was now Bernard Higgins uh, was about to be uh, appointed at Celtic, um, Patrick. And, and there was a real coming together, really, because it was quite obviously that, you know, no one wanted them at the football club. Um, and I do remember at the time, even if, you, if you're just talking about fan media now, I, I was talking about back in the day, the fanzines got massive pile right in front of me here. Um, the fan media groups all came together uh, as well to, to ensure that there was a joint statement made to the club um, so that they knew that obviously some some of the fan media channels got a huge influence. I, I can only speak about Axel. I know that every single month, if you look at the average viewership, and that's on every platform, not just on YouTube, but on the audio platforms, um, Axon can get anything between 1.75 million to 2 million people tuning in on a monthly basis, which is huge. It's absolutely sensational. And and you can get a word across there, but it's a narrative. Uh, and some people don't like to, to follow a narrative. If you don't agree, you don't agree. Um, and I do think that there's, there's other chat around what the club, or sorry, what the fans could do, Patrick, um, and trying to have some kind of representation on the board so that you're closer to actually being able to speak to them and give them a different narrative and a different view. And I know the Celtic Trust have been trying to gather shares to do that. You know, is it 5% they're trying to gather in terms of to, a shareholding so that they can maybe even call an EGM, an extraordinary general meeting? Do you think having a, a, a voice on the board is something that we can do as Celtic fans? Do you think it would make a blind bit of difference? I think it would. Um, I think it, it, it definitely would. I mean, I'm not sure how far away they are from a 5% shareholding. I'm, I'm guessing it's probably a fair bit away, but I think they're, what they're asking for is the... I think there's something like 30% or 20% of individual shareholders sort of holding small amounts of shares and they're wanting to club together. And I think that's, yeah. you know, that's probably possible. Um, you know, I'm not a member of the Celtic Trust. I'm not entirely sure how it works. I don't have any shares. So, you know, the, the specifics I can't talk about, but having fan representation both sort of as a group, uh, as, as shareholders is obviously quite important to be able to call those meetings and hold board members to account. But also, I believe in Germany they have um, workers on some of their boards. I'm sure Mercedes or something like that. You know, I'm not familiar with the specifics, but to have actual season ticket holders, fans, as part of the board, I think would be quite a good idea. And to have some sort of cap, because, I mean, I think you've spoken about it at length, the fact that if you combine Brian Wilson and Tom Allison together, you get 40 years on that board. And yeah. what have those two guys actually contributed? Um, to remove Tom Allison would actually be a, a massive benefit because he owns, I think it's 3.5% of Celtic. So if the fans could buy that, I think it works out at £150 a, a season ticket holder to buy his shares off him. And then, you know, he's been there since, what, 2001? What has he really done? Um, so to get someone like that out of the club would be a massive benefit to some sort of fan movement, uh, in my opinion. And, you know, to know about what's going on in, the, in our workings of the club, I mean, we don't know how much this Barrafield redevelopment is going to cost, how much of the £72 million we're setting aside for that. Um, we don't know how much we're spending on transfers, really, because they never released the figure. Um, the, the, the transparency element around the club for me is, 
is a big issue as well because we don't really know what the long-term plan is. It seems to be qualify for the Champions League, make no effort to compete in the Champions League and hoover up as many uh, Scottish trophies as possible, which as John has pointed out, is totally pointless because financially, I mean, you're, you're collecting trophies, which is lovely. I mean, it's brilliant to win a treble, but to win two games in the Champions League makes more financial sense. And I think, you know, Everyone and their dog knows that the future of football is in these sort of European leagues, these super leagues, and Celtic are going to, going to have to face that reality um, very soon. And just to touch on the, the sort of protest and giving up your season ticket, you know, I think it will... I mean, I'm not sure we could end up in the Europa League next season, but certainly in terms of the Champions League, I think there's there's a risk of apathy um, when it comes to selling uh, four match packages and season tickets because it's going to get to a stage where I mean if, if our aim is to just be there and not bother competing how many people are actually going to pay £200 to turn up to Celtic Park and watch us lose every single year yeah. I mean people are just going to not bother and when it comes to the, the, the league title if it's just the same formula year after year are people going to pay hundreds if not thousands of pounds to watch the same old dross Um so you might end up, you know, people giving up their season tickets by accident. That ten thousand ten thousand waiting list sort of slowly dwindling. Um, but you know, I'm not a don't have a, don't have a crystal ball, or else I, I would be a, a much more successful gambler, uh, as John John pointed out earlier. <laughs> uh, but you know, it, it starts with it starts with tonight. It starts with the performance. It starts with you know a solid win, and you know looking towards the recruitment in the summer. It obviously has to be better. And I think, you know, whether it's the trust, whether it's shareholders coming together, whether it's protests, um, you know, something obviously needs to change, certainly in the recruitment. And as much as it might be difficult with Desmond not selling up, it, something has to change at board level as well, because you can't have these guys sitting there for 20, 25 years, not contributing, holding the club back and bringing absolutely no ideas to the table. No creative. Just the, the, the one thing I would say is... Uh, the really the you know when people are talking about we, we can't protest protest is all that we have because we cannot force change we, there's nothing we can do to actually force a change uh, as as things stand at the moment so the only thing you can do is embarrass certain people into maybe you know sacking certain other people uh, and hopefully make a change that way but that's that's all the power that we have so we must protest if we are not happy yeah i agree with you uh, we will talk about the football for anybody who is uh, dying to talk about, uh, you know, the hoodoo at Easter Road. One last thing. Uh, Barrowfield's supposed to be 10 million at least, uh, Patrick. That's what we've been told. That's the rumour mm-hmm. anyway from the Lowell camp uh, you're talking about, uh, you know, 10 million at least, which is, uh, you know, I don't have anything against infrastructure projects. Uh, that's as good an idea as any. And uh, I'm not sure what our return is going to be on a project like that. You know, uh, could you not have them all training at Lennox Town and have Barrafield sold for houses and make 50 million out of it? You know, I, I, I don't know. Uh, but as you pointed out, I mean, what, what's our return on that investment-wise? Because uh, the academy itself without Kieran Tierney hasn't even broken even over the last 20-odd years. I think I went back to 1998. Yeah. Without without Tierney sale, I haven't even broken even. Uh, so, you know, it's, uh, it's it's difficult to say. Obviously, we want to be, you know, when Michael Nicholson's talking about world-class, is that what he's talking about? World-class training facilities, uh, world-class youth academy, all of that. That might well pay dividends in the future. We might well get more people coming to the club. Um, you know, so ten million out of that seventy million is that unrealistic or a bad idea? I don't know. Uh, infrastructure usually pays off in the end, uh, but it's definitely a long-term uh, ambition. Um, but yeah, what was that you wanted to say about football, Paul? <laughs> yeah, what well, I would say actually, twelve thirteen hundred live on this Wednesday afternoon is a, a tremendous turnout for the Axon Bulletin. And what you'll get is you'll get everything. You'll get everything from whether or not we like the jersey right down to who should be running the football club. There's an interesting, again, I've got all the literature in front of me there. Uh, when Dermot Desmond came to Celtic, uh, we did a, a a brief interview actually with, with Willie Hockey back in October. Uh, I never knew that it was Willie that brought Dermot Desmond to the table. Um, and, and then obviously the investment um, has 
has been made. People in the, the comment section going about uh, what did they bring to the club. There has been investment, obviously, at some point from Dermot Desmond, but he does an interview with the Celtic. If you, I'm going to dig into it, but he's talking about uh, making sure Celtic are bigger than Manchester United. That was his opening salvo. I'm going to have a look at his objectives back then and see how many of them have been fulfilled. <laughs> Uh, we will be talking about tonight's game. Uh, my ball protests will be shown at the end of the season with season ticket sales. But I think, as John says, uh, there is always somebody else there to step in and take that season ticket. Uh, Brandon Warren, Burnaby, let's start talking about the football. Shouldn't be a start today for left back. Also, I feel the formation should be 3-5-2, shake up the way we play a bit. Patrick, yesterday we were talking about 3-5-2. I like the idea of it, but I think if we were going to do it, we would have done it against Bucky Thistle in Ross County. To see how it works, moving into the Aberdeen Hibs and St Mirren games, I can't see us changing in terms of the shape over the next couple of weeks. What's your thoughts? No, I think we'd have to drop a lot more points uh, for that to be the case. Um, if there was going to be any sort of experiment, I think um, the comment is right there. You know, that would have happened against Bucky Thistle. You know, not to be disrespectful, but I think we were going to win that game anyway, just by how much. So to test out a new formation would have been the perfect time. Um, Away at Hibs, you know, probably stick with what he knows. Um, again, it's, it's just really about the performance and the mentality. I mean, we, we've turned up this season before. We know how to play football. I mean, it's it's, it's quite obvious. Um, I think back to probably Tynecastle back in October. You know, mm. maybe the first half against Atletico Madrid. We know how to play really well and entertain. It's just about actually doing it. And it seems... Don't know. We, it's it's hard to pinpoint really. Maybe Atletico away. Maybe the, the draw with Marvel at home. It's hard to pinpoint where it's gone wrong. The the inconsistencies are just just littered throughout the season. Um, but you know, as I said earlier, this is a team. Obviously, the squad isn't as good as ours. The manager isn't as good as ours. They play an open system. Um, it, it's just really about getting into that final third and finding Kyogo because we've not been able to do that all season. Um, whether we do that with three five two, you know, going forward that might be the answer. Um, I'm not a big fan of three at the back uh, after the beginning of the COVID season. Um, I, I just don't think we have the players for it. You know, especially with Rogers being so dependent on wingers. I know we don't have any very many good ones at the moment, but I, I don't think uh, Brendan Rogers will go for that. I think we could go back to the four two three one that he played the first time he was here. Um, yeah. that's it. That seemed to give us joy. For those two and a half years, um, you know, it, it could be the players that we have it, that he has at his disposal that we're sticking with the four three three. It certainly worked for Ange, but you know, it's it's it doesn't seem to be working for us. Um, and we're getting the best out of some players, but not others. So, I think maybe in the summer he needs to look at changing it, and we need to look at bringing in. Believe it or not, more wingers. Uh, even though we have about fifty million, um, we need to find some good ones, certainly in the right wing. Um, but you know, I don't think we'll see a change of formation this season. Um, not so late on. I mean, we've picked up as much as we're sort of struggling now and we're leveling points with Rangers. It's we've been not bad at picking up points, and it has worked obviously in large spells. It's just the inconsistencies that we need to iron out, and we need to start going on our run. Um, but, I mean, to answer the question, no, I don't think we'll see a 3-5-2. I don't think managers these days are big fans of playing two strikers unless they're going for a goal in the last 20 minutes. So mm -hmm. um, I think we'll be sticking with 4-3-3, certainly for this season. I, I, I agree with you. Uh, I'm not saying we should, but I, I do agree with that. And I think um, at the weekend there, we got a, another sight of Nicholas Kunjon and we've seen our, our first um, example of what Adam Ida can bring to the, the table. And I do think that when Ida came on, I thought Kyogo sprung into life. I thought, I thought you know, he looked better with, with two up top, like uh, Patrick says, when we're kind of chasing the points, chasing the game. Uh, what do you make of the January signings from what you've seen? I know it's just been cameo appearances so far, John. Uh, Kuhn has a real uh, uh, touch of the Mikey Johnsons about him. <laughs> uh, he actually does look very similar. That, that, is, uh, that is a testimonial and a half. Are we going to be talking about Kuhn in seven years saying, you know, this is, this is the moment, the last chance saloon? <laughs> <laughs> but he actually does play a lot like him um, uh, to, in certain respects. Uh, even that goal, you know, when he was cutting across, 
Uh, there was a lot in the, in the Mikey Johnsons about that. Let's, let's hope it turns out slightly more positively. Uh, Ida uh, had a nice touch. And, uh, you know, again, anything that uh, takes defenders away from Kyogo uh, is going to be a benefit. That's why I think, you know, uh, that's why I do like the idea of 3 5 2. And I've said all year we should be playing 3 5 2. And I don't understand why we persist when we don't have any wingers. You know, 4 2 3 1, well, it depends who's in the three, doesn't it? And is it going to be, you know, the, the two wingers in Ida uh, behind Kyogo? And, you know, then you're going to be shot in midfield. And, you know, so it depends who's in that three. Uh, but, we, we, you know, in my view, we need to do something uh, because we, we need to, it's stale. Uh, and stale is a, is a big word that, you know, here because it, it feels stale, it looks stale. We're not, nothing is changing. It, the, the beauty of what our ex Ange did. Um, uh, ex. Listen, yeah, yeah, still love that guy. I'm not, not over it. Uh, so, <laughs> but uh, the beauty of what he did was he draw teams out. So effectively, we have yes. scales. So we have scales pushing up to mm-hmm. almost, you know, well into their half, right? And then expecting the centre half to pull out some sort of, I know, Baggio-esque, you know, or Messi-esque pass into, you know, 20-odd players all standing within, you know, 15 yards. Where's the space ever going to be? You know, as soon as I see the centre halves pushing up beyond the halfway line, you're thinking, this is just not going to work. Uh, because there's no space. Uh, it doesn't matter how good you are if you can't find space. Uh, so it requires miracles, really, when you get that tight. Uh, so, you know, in my view, if we're going to keep playing this way, we have to be braver on the ball. We have to let them come on to us and we have to beat the press. Um, you know, and if they're, not, if they're not going to play with a press at all, then, you know, fair enough, but that, that never happened. Uh, previously when we were doing that because it's their instinct to press you to some degree to try and force a mistake mm-hmm. but we have to be brave enough to let them try that and confident enough in ourselves that we can beat the press and therefore create space we can't there is no space at the moment that's why it just seems so repetitive you know you're, go, you're just doing the horseshoe from side to side to side to side uh, and there's nothing happening because we've got guys that can't you know take on a man and hit the line uh, playing on either wing. Uh, so if you can't get past them that way, you're never going to get past them. And even if you can get past them that way, that is a low percentage ball. You know, because if you're not cutting back to someone specific, if you're just lumping it into the middle, maybe that's where Ida will help. But, you know, it's a low percentage ball. Unless it's the front post with a Kyogo coming on it, you know, as we've seen so many times before, then, you know, the, the ch- most defences are happy to defend that. Uh, you know, sort of ball. So, you know, and you can't get through the middle. There's just no space through the middle at all. So something needs to change, <clears throat> excuse me, either systemically or personnel-wise or manager's instructions. We'll play the same idea, but just let them come, come on to us. You know, I, there has to be some way that we can draw them out. Yeah, look how we were drawn in, John, for the, the goal against Aberdeen at the weekend. And then we're, we're so in the back foot that we're never recovering from that. I know that I've been very critical about just about everybody uh, defensively in that move. But the way Aberdeen did that, and it, you know, let's be honest, they did it again last night, didn't they? It was just a big hoof up the park. Miofsky got on to the end of it. We've got Kyogo that can get on the end of these balls, but we're never getting the defence on the back foot. Never. Like you say, it's just too languid, the style, it's too slow, it's predictable. We're very easy to play against at the moment. And a lot of the defences that are finding it easy for us to play against are not great defenders. You know, you're talking Livingston, Motherwell, Ross County, Dundee. These teams are not great football teams, but they're set up and they've got a really rigid defensive shape and they work on it all week. Nick Montgomery needs points as well. Let's not forget that. Um, Tonight, Patrick, Lewis Palmer, I've called him a curious case, uh, Lewis Palmer, because I think we have seen, it's easy to forget, we have seen what he can bring to the table positively. Uh, I was looking at this this morning, a goal or assist every 94 minutes for Celtic, scored two goals in the Champions League, but for me, defensively, brings nothing to the table, nothing whatsoever. 
Um, he disappears in games. He's inconsistent. He's undisciplined. So there's pros and cons to the guy. Uh, but I just think in recent weeks, he's not shown enough. And have made us fit for for uh, tonight. For me, Palmer gets dropped. I don't think we've done that to him yet. Um, I think he needs a rocket. Uh, can you see Brendan doing that tonight? Um, I, I actually can um, because he's he's not really shown anything since we've come back. Um, you know, he's he's played well in the Champions League as he pointed out, but really since that penalty against Feyenoord, he's not done much. Uh, not done much at all. Um, you know, I'm. I think Scunnard is probably the best word to describe my feelings towards the wingers at the club at the moment. I, I, none of them have been a standout this season. And you've seen that. You've ended up with uh, Mikey Johnson and James Forrest and all that playing. And they should be nowhere near the team at this stage. And you've seen, uh, you know, last season they were nowhere near the team. Because um, it's, it's it's absolute uh, desperation stuff to, to be playing those guys. But, you know, Maeda... I th- He's not my favourite player. I, I think he lacks quality on the ball. You know, a lot of the crosses that he puts in end up in Rosette. But, you know, he does a job. He presses. And, you know, they're trying to play out from the back uh, with a squad that really shouldn't be playing out from the back. So I think Maeda and Kyogo pressing them could be could be an option. Um, you know, in terms of work rate, I think Abada's work rate is better than Palma. So you could see with you could see those two players as uh, with Palma dropped. Um you know, both of them have been known to get goals, you know, a bad mm. especially at the back post. And, you know, hopefully with the extra space we can find Kyogo. Um but again, it's just about the performance really. You know, regardless of who the ringers are, I think if the ringers turn up, um I think I think we'll play well and win comfortably. But it's just the consistency and performances that we've been missing this season. And um, you know, Maida's no exception to that. I think he's been poor in several games this season. But um you know, not not to make sweeping generalisations, but I think there's there's been a problem in in British football with South American signings. You know, a lot of them, both in England, I think you've seen it at Man, Man United, you've seen it with Burnaby. Um, Morelos is a, a big obvious case. That I think sometimes the work rate and the attitude isn't there because I think they see getting to Europe as an achievement. And once mm-hmm. they get here, they 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 become like Palm and think, oh, I'll end up at Real Madrid in a few years, and it really isn't the case. Um, so again, I don't want to label an entire continent as uh, lazy, but um, I think I think Maeda and Abad I would take. <laughs> I know, pretty I bad. Generalisation. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> well, well, I mean, that's we... not going to get clipped, Patrick. Definitely, Marco's going to use that. Oh God! Listen, if Palmer wants to prove me wrong and score a hat trick tonight, I'd be more than happy. Um, more, more than welcome. But uh, no, Maeda and Abad, I think, would be would be my picks for tonight. We, we don't exactly have a lot of choice here in reality, do we? Uh, because, you know, Palmer, as I said before, is a one-trick pony. And just, uh, you know, if that trick doesn't come off in the game, uh, yeah, then you, you've got nothing really from him. Uh, Maeda doesn't offer anything creatively, but Bernabe, who probably play tonight, is a liability. Uh, and Maeda does office offer the defensive solidity, but more to the point, despite the fact we probably don't really need that defensive solidity tonight, uh, more to the point, what he does do is he pressures inferior players into making mistakes. So, you know, he, he might not be the most creative himself. Uh, we have seen if a chance are set up for him, he can take them. Uh, but what he does do is he, he, he puts us on the front foot with the pressure that he brings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, that's a, that's the kind of attitude we need because we're not getting that elsewhere. Um, so I, I would say Maeda for me and Kuhn, I, I think Abad has given up the ghost, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I, I think his time here is potentially done completely. I, I don't think, he, you know, I see nothing from him at this point. Uh, so uh, in terms of, it's really a choice for me between Palmer, Maeda and Kuhn uh, and you know, it's, it's it's not quite quite that straightforward because, as I say, we maybe don't need Maeda's defensive solidity, but you know, uh, Palmer's one trick might actually work. Um, you know, so I don't know. It's 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 a difficult one. I would play Maeda and Kuhn. No, I, you know what? I'm kind of going down that road myself. I, I keep thinking back to the first game at Easter Road this season. I thought Palmer was really poor that day. That was 
maybe one of the first times I've looked at him and started questioning his, his um, some of his attributes, his application. Um, and obviously it comes from a, a nation who are known, Patrick, for being lazy and complacent. <laughs> In fact, the whole continent, not just the nation. Um, <laughs> Jungle Lion, as bad as Celtic are and as great, as they think they are, Celtic are still top, but something needs to click or change from now on in. Yeah, we've got 14 league games. As Patrick says, you win all 14, it becomes a 100-point season. Um, how likely that is, I do not know on this form, but we start tonight at Easter Road. Let us know in the comments section what you would do with the left-back, the formation, and, of course, the wingers. How can we get the best out of Kyogo and how you think uh, the two new January recruits have fared so far in their cameos? and the, the green and white hoops. Let us know in the comments section also how you think Celtic are going to do tonight. I'll be back half an hour before kick-off. Kick-off is, of course, at 8 o'clock tonight um, for Hibernian against Celtic. All that's left for me to do is to thank you all for tuning in. 1,300 live. I really I feel loathed to cut you off when there's so many of you getting involved in the chat. Keep it coming. Uh, thank you once again to Patrick McGilp and John Hughes for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind. Yeah, yeah. Podcast Network.